Thanks for leading us in singing, Mark. Thanks for taking time to be out, everyone. Um, thank for your encouragement um, and your commitment to learning more about God and worshiping Him and sharing His Word with others. It's an encouragement. Well, it seems like we all ought to be agreed on who our Lord and Savior are and the characteristics of Him. But there is not a lot of agreement about that in many religious circles. There's a lot of confusion about Jesus, His nature, and His characteristics. And tonight I thought we'd spend a little bit of time looking at what the Bible says about Jesus of Nazareth, who He is, who he is and who He is to us. There's a lot of confusion. Some believe that Jesus was just a good teacher. Some believe that he was just another prophet. Some, on the other hand, will go to the other extreme and say that he is God and he is the only God. There is the only being in the Godhead is Jesus, the oneness doctrine. We'll look at that a little bit later on in the lesson tonight. And then what we believe is that he is the Son of God, that he is deity, he's part of the Godhead. And we'll look at verses that show that tonight. It is important that we understand the details about our Savior. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, if you, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. We need to understand the details about our Savior. We need to have a proper understanding and have faith in our Lord and Savior. So who was or who is Jesus of Nazareth? Well, let's look at his physical characteristics. There's a lot of confusion about this. Jesus' physical characteristics. We know that Jesus' earthly parents were Mary and Joseph. John 13, verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joses, Simon, and Judas? Jesus' earthly father... We might refer to him as his adoptive father, Joseph, and his earthly mother, Mary. Jesus also, contrary to the beliefs of many in the religious world today, had siblings. That's clear from this passage, isn't it? His brothers, James, Josie, Simon, and Judas. Jesus had brothers. It says also in John chapter 2, verse 12, after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Jesus had brethren, brothers, uh, and, uh, and they are listed here. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it was foretold, that out of Bethlehem would come a savior, and a ruler. In, Matthew, in Micah two, five verse two, but you Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of from old. Was, Jesus was foretold to be coming from Bethlehem, and that's exactly what happened in Matthew chapter five or Matthew chapter two verse one. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like it had been foretold. And as we look at the whole Bible story, we see that the foretelling of the Messiah 
was foretold even back in Genesis chapter 3. Throughout the Old Testament, they were being told about the Savior that would come. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it was foretold that he would come in Bethlehem. Now it's interesting, though, because Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. Why is that? Well, Jesus' parents were from Nazareth. And you'll remember after Jesus was born, they, his parents apparently stayed in Bethlehem for some time because wise men came searching for him, you remember. And they found him not in a manger, but they found him in a house. And that they, they remember that it had been inquired about the time that they had seen the sign. And, and therefore, it went out the edict to kill all babies two years old and under. So Jesus apparently had lived in Bethlehem for some time. But when the edict goes out to kill babies, the angel warns Joseph to take Jesus to Egypt. Again, another prophecy that was foretold. Out of Egypt I will call my son. Jesus went to Egypt. And after it was clear for him to come back to the promised land, they return and they settle in Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, it came to, and it, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus was a Nazarene. It's important that we're not confused on this. Jesus was not a Nazarite. A Nazarite, you remember, was a vow they took in the Old Testament. There were things associated with that. Samson was a Nazarite. And one of those things was you didn't cut your hair. You didn't eat anything of the vine. There were stipulations about being a Nazarite. Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. Here's a map of Palestine. And I don't know if you can see the, the cities there, but you understand here. This is the Mediterranean Sea over here. It doesn't end in a straight line there. It keeps on going. Uh, we see here that we have the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River connects the two of them. We have the regions of Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is just south of of Jerusalem. Why did his parents go from Nazareth, which is up here, why did they go down to Bethlehem? You remember they were originally from Bethlehem. They were of the people of David. This is this area where they would be their people would be from. They were told they need to go back here to be counted for the census and so they go and that's where Jesus is born. But after they come out of Egypt, which is down here, they go back up to Nazareth and that's where Jesus grew up. And so he could be called, as was prophesied, a Nazarene. Beyond that, beyond those descriptions of Jesus' physical characteristics, we know very little about Jesus' characteristics. Now that hasn't stopped people from making a lot of pictures about what they think Jesus looks like. And it's interesting that all those pictures look similar, don't they? Jesus has similar features in all of those pictures. But there's no indication in the, in the scriptures of what Jesus looked like. He was a Jew. Did he have a beard? Maybe, likely. What well, we don't know. Did We don't know what Jesus looked like. But we do know something about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, notice this. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing special about Jesus. You know, all those pictures that you see of Jesus, he was glowing and standing out for the crowd, and you could look out in the crowd, and you could pick him out and you know, very quickly. Well, there's the Savior, there's something special about him. Isaiah said, no, 
He looked just like any other person. There was nothing special about him. He wasn't especially attractive. He didn't have any special characteristics that made him stand out. He would have looked like your next door neighbor. And that's an interesting thought to think about. Because you think about people living in the first century that would have had exposure to Jesus and interacted with them. You think, how in the world could you reject the Savior when you met him face to face? There was nothing special about him in his physical appearance. And so can you imagine maybe your next door neighbor coming to you and telling you that I'm the son of God? Here's what you need to do in order to be pleasing to God. You might be tempted to say, what, you? There's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about Jesus' appearance. They couldn't look at him and say, he's the Savior. Isaiah says that. So we don't know what Jesus looked like. But we can know some things he didn't look like. There was no, he didn't look anything special. There was nothing special about him. Jesus' physical characteristics. The scriptures are clear that Jesus was the Son of God and is the Son of God. We see that before his birth, it was revealed that Jesus would be the Son of God. He was a child. He was Mary's child, but he was more than that. He was and is the Son of God. In Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus' identity as the Son of God was not unknown. In fact, Satan knew this when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, Satan said this. He said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. He says something similar in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knew that. Demons knew that when they encountered Him. They knew that He was and is the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. When he had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The demons knew that Jesus is the Son of God. In Luke chapter 8, verse 27, and when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from a si the city who had demons for a long time, who wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. The demons understood that Jesus is the Son of God. It's interesting, though, as we look at these passages, just on a side note in passing, that faith in Jesus clearly is not all it takes to be pleasing to God. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and furthermore, they confessed it, didn't they? They confessed their faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Were they saved? No. Faith and confession are simply not enough. We learn that from this account. But Jesus is the Son of God. And it's clear that he is 
what people claimed he was and what he claimed he was. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus' life demonstrated that he is the Son of God. In Matthew 14, verse 33, those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. People believe that Jesus is the Son of God. How did they do that? John chapter 20 tells us how they understood that Jesus is the Son of God. In John chapter 20, verse 30, And truly many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Jesus' miracles proved to the people in the first century that he is the Son of God, just like he had been claiming. Jesus' miracles that are recorded for us in the Bible prove to us that He is the Son of God, just as He claimed. Jesus did, in fact, claim that He was the Son of God. In John chapter 10, verse 36, Do you say of, he, of Him whom the Father sanctified and sent the world you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Jesus made that claim. He made that claim. And we see that Jesus was revealed as the Son of God at the time of His death and that it was understood that he was the Son of God. In Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Mark 15, 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. The centurion who'd had a part in killing him. Based upon what happened and what he witnessed, he was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. This was Jesus' teaching. His miracles backed that up. And his disciples and apostles preached this after his death. In, John, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul preached, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. Jesus is the Son of God. Paul preached this. John preached this in 1 John 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Jesus is the Son of God. The, over, the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, why is it important? Why take all this time to show that Jesus is the Son of God? Why would the Scriptures tell us over and over again that Jesus is the Son of God? Because it's important. It shows us God's love for us, that He sent His Son, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If Jesus is God's Son, and God sent Jesus to the world to die for us, doesn't that show you His love for us? He was willing to send His Son. But there's something else that we learn by understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. We learn the consequences of our sins. Matthew chapter 5 that we looked at this morning. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It shows us how much God loves us. It shows us how desperately we needed a Savior and how dire the consequences of our sins were. That it took the death of God's Son to be a sacrifice for our sins. 
Jesus is the Son of God. We'll go on. And from the Scriptures, we also learn that Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. And that phrase is used 81 times in the Gospel, that Jesus is the Son of Man. It is the most frequent term used to describe Jesus. He is described as the Son of Man. We can look at a few of those. We won't look at all 81. Quickly in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Jesus referred to Himself as both the Son of God and the Son of Man. In uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 61 beginning. Mark 14, beginning verse 61. But He kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked Him, saying to Him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus described Himself when He was on trial as the Son of Man. Finally, as Judas betrays Him in Luke 22, verse 47. In Luke 22, verse 47, And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So over and over again, Jesus is called the Son of Man. What's significant about that? Why is it important that Jesus is also the Son of Man? I'll tell you this is important because it helps us understand the unique relationship that Jesus had with mankind. It helps us understand the fact that He was a man while He was here on earth. And that's important. That's important for me as I live my life. And I struggle with temptations to understand that Jesus, my Savior, was once a man. And it helps me to want to follow Him. I'm not following someone who doesn't understand me. I'm following someone who was once like me and the fact that he was a man like me and like you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was God. It wasn't something that was not that Jesus couldn't attain or claim. He was God, and yet He came to earth as a man to live and to be tempted and to struggle like men and women do today and to be our sacrifice on the cross. And that tells us that we can be like Him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for He who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Jesus shows us it's possible to not live in sin. He shows us it's possible to overcome. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who was passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see why it's important that Jesus be referred to as the Son of Man? Because Jesus came to earth and became a man. And He suffered the same temptations, or He endured the same temptations that we go through. And yet He did it without sin. 
showing you and showing me that it is possible for us to resist. It is so important that we understand that Jesus is, was, is and was the Son of Man. Since He was a man, we can follow in His steps. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. While He was a man, He showed us how to live. That mindset needs to be in me as I live my life. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For this example you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Jesus was the Son of Man, and we can follow in His steps. He left us that example since He became a man and shows us how to live, and He understands the temptations that we go through, and He can help us. Now, we've talked about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And we've talked about that Jesus is the Son of Man while He's here on earth. Does that then mean that Jesus is not God? There are a lot of people who claim that Jesus is not God. That Jesus was just another man or maybe Jesus was an angel. But the scriptures are clear that Jesus is part of the Godhead. Over and over again, and we've looked at this before, but over and over again, the idea that Jesus is God is presented to us. This goes all the way back to the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now what in the world's going on here? If Jesus is not God, who is God talking to? God says, let us make man in our image. Who's the us? It's the Godhead, isn't it? The part, a part of which is Jesus. God is saying here, let us. Either, Jesus, either there's a Godhead and Jesus is a part of it, or else God is displaying schizophrenic behavior here, isn't He? Envisioning that there's more than one of Him when there really isn't. God, their Godhead contains three beings and Jesus is one of them. Notice what John said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with the Godhead. And the Word contained all of those characteristics that make up deity. And who is the Word? wonder about that drop down to verse 14 of john 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth the only begotten of the father we just heard that language in john chapter 3 verse 16 didn't we jesus is the only begotten son of god and he is the word here in john 1 verse 14 that became flesh and what is that word verse 1 of john chapter 1 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. He is part of the Godhead. It's obvious. It's different. But we need to understand that while we understand that Jesus is part of the Godhead, that He's different from the Father. Did you know that there's some who claim that Jesus is, in fact, deity, but He is the only a being that is deity, that there is no Father or Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God. They are, you might encounter them as the oneness Pentecostals that believe that Jesus is 
the only being in the Godhead. Now, Jesus manifested himself differently, they say, in the Old Testament as the Father. And in the New Testament dispensation, in the Christian, in the church age, he is manifested as the Holy Spirit. But he, Jesus is the only being in the Godhead, they say. Only being that has deity. But that's not true. Because over and over again in the Scriptures, we see Jesus and the Father being separate. Separate identities. In 2 John verse 9. 2 John verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. You have them both. There's two different beings in the Godhead there listed. Two different beings that manifest the characteristics of deity. Jesus and the Father. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not the Father, is He? Jesus is separate from the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, verse 3, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand with the majesty on high." Jesus sat down next to His Father. Two beings in the Godhead. Jesus is not the same. In uh, Hebrews 1, verse 8, God the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Two different distinct beings. The Holy Spirit also manifesting the characteristics of deity that we can look at at another time. In John chapter 12, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. If Jesus is the only being that's deity, then who's talking to Jesus here? There are obviously two beings that have characteristics of deity that are presented here in John chapter 12. Quickly, in John chapter 20, or John chapter 17, verse 1. In John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. In John chapter 8, verse 16, for if I yet judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Over and over again, we're seeing these distinctions. John 8, verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will be, you'll know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. John 12, 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should, what I should say and what I should speak. Over and over again, Jesus is shown as separate from the Father. John verse John twenty verse seventeen, Jesus said to her, "Not do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But I go to my breath, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God." Jesus was going to his Father. Quickly, in Hebrews chapter one, verse one. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to us in time past by the to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed an heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had purged him, He Himself purged Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, have become so much better than the angels and as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We could look at numerous passages that show us that Jesus is part of the Godhead, that he is deity, 
He is God. And he's separate from the Father and separate from the Holy Spirit. We can see that over and over again in the Bible. But there are a lot of people who are confused about that. People who do not believe that Jesus is God. When you talk to your Jehovah's Witnesses friends who may knock on your door, they do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's just another, he was just an angel, they think. They believe he was Michael the archangel. There are others that you talk to who believe that Jesus is the only being that is deity. Those clearly are false doctrines that are not supported by the scriptures. Finally tonight, as we look at the characteristics of Jesus, we need to know and understand very clearly that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus was the seed of David. Jesus is the seed of David. He is our Savior. He is the promised and the prophesied Messiah. The scriptures are clear about that. In Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Jesus was of the seed of David. Jesus was raised up as our Savior, Acts 13, 22 and 23. Over and over again, we see him referred to as our Savior, who saved us from our sins. Titus 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus saved us from the, the judgment of, against us as being sinners. He saved us from that. And we can be rejoicing in the fact that he is our Savior. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior. I hope the things that we've looked at tonight have been helpful. I know they're just a reminder to us, but things that we need to be reminded of about his physical characteristics. Very little is known about those. We know some things. We know he was the Son of God. That shows us God's love for us. That shows us the price that had to be paid for our sins, that he is the Son of God and had to die for us. He is the Son of Man. He came and he was a man here on earth. That shows us that he understands us, doesn't it? He knows what it's like. He is part of the Godhead. He is deity. There's no doubt about that from the Scriptures. And he's our Savior. The question then is, what do we need to do to take advantage of this great gift? What do we need to do? Jesus is our Savior. He came to die for our sins so our sins could be forgiven. What do we need to do? We need to hear the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We need to believe. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, verse 16. We need to repent of our sins when we've done things that we shouldn't do. God tells us to turn from them or repent. Luke 13, verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. We need to confess our faith in God, in Christ, I'm sorry, that He is the Son of God. Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We need to be baptized for the remission of our sins. Mark 16, verse 16, Acts 22, verse 16, And now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus is our Savior. 
and a wonderful Savior He is. We need to rejoice in the fact that God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for our sins. And we need to live every day striving to be like Him, like He lived while He was here on earth as Son of Man, showing us that we can live in a way that would be pleasing to God. Have you taken advantage of His sacrifice? Are you living like you should? If we can help you in any way, we let us know while we stand and sing.